Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Welcome to Not Us Week One. This is the first week of a brand new series. Uh, every year during the month of February, I either do a series on, on marriage or marriage and family or something of the sort. And so this year is no exception. And, and I think we need it. Even those that have been here for years and you have sat under this ministry and you've heard me teach about marriage, I think it's important that we get good reminders. I need, as the pastor, I need to be reminded on, on how to be a godly husband. And my wife, good God knows she needs to be reminded on how to be a godly wife. Amen? Amen. Amen. Somebody posted on Facebook last night and said during, during the district championship game last night, that my wife was standing up yelling at referees quoting scripture. <laughs> what is that about? How can you, how can you yell scripture at somebody? It's because it's you're a raised Pentecostal. That's your problem, girl. So here we are, another marriage series, and, and I'm glad you're here to be a part of it. I'm glad you're here. Bill was in trouble. Bill was in big trouble because Bill forgot his wedding anniversary. And needless to say, Bill's wife was really, really angry, as most of the women in the room would be. You see, early on in their marriage, this was never a problem. But for some reason, Bill had lost that loving feeling. And he forgot. He forgot their anniversary. So still angry, his wife told him, she said, tomorrow morning, I expect to find a gift in the driveway that goes from zero to 200 in five seconds, and it better be there, mister. So the next morning, Bill got up and left for work. When his wife woke up, she looked out the window, and she saw that there was a box gift wrapped in the middle of the driveway. And so she put on her robe, and excited, the wife went out to, uh, to the driveway and picked up the box. And, and she thought to herself, he's trying to trick me. There's a set of car keys in here. I know there is. And so she ran back inside, put it on the kitchen counter, began to open the box. And there she opened it, and she found a brand new set of bathroom scales that would go from zero to 205 seconds. Bill has been missing since Friday. <laughs> How many married people do we have in the room? Let me see a show of hands. Good. How many engaged people do we have in the room? Okay, good, good. How many are holding out hope that he's going to ask you to marry him soon? Raise your hand. <laughs> wow, there is one in the back. <laughs> oh, there's one over here too. Are you dating him? Okay, good, good, good. That's what I wanted to make sure of. <laughs> During the first service, we had somebody sitting right over in here. She raised her hand, and, she, and he was sitting next to her. I was like, yikes. How many of you are holding out hope for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, praying that you don't settle for Mr. and Mrs. Wright now? Okay, good, good. I love the honesty that's in the room this morning. This is good. I want you all to know this is a series that will touch all of us. Not one person in this room is going to be exempt. Stay with me through this series because everybody will be affected by it. Everyone in this room can glean from this series and improve your marriage or you'll understand marriage better or you'll know what to look for in a marriage. You see, nobody in their right mind ever enters into marriage hoping and praying that it won't last. Nobody does. On the day that they say I do, nobody stands there 
before God, before a pastor or whoever's officiating the, the wedding or, or before a group of, of witnesses, nobody, nobody stands there and thinks to themselves, I hope this just doesn't last. Notice I said nobody in their right mind. We all know the psychos and the crazies that are out there, but nobody in their right mind ever stands there and enters into marriage hoping and praying that it won't last. On the contrary, we so innocently believe that it is forever. That when we say I do, it's going to last forever. And in that moment, we mean it. I mean, we really do. When we say I do, we think, man, I am in love with this person. I want this to last forever. When performing a wedding ceremony, I only require a couple of things. First thing is if I'm going to perform the wedding, I have to do three premarital sessions with this, this couple. I, I will not marry someone unless I do three premarital uh, counseling sessions with them. Certain things that I feel we need to cover during that time to make their marriage a little bit more successful. And you might get a little bit of that throughout this series. And so, um, you know, but the other thing, there, there is something else that I do require, and that's wedding vows. If I'm going to perform a wedding for someone, for a couple, there must be wedding vows. I, I don't care if the ceremony is five minutes long or five hours long. There must be wedding vows. I, I guess there's just that side of me that still takes wedding vows very serious. That when I said my wedding vows to my wife, it's something that I meant. It wasn't something I was suggesting that maybe I would be able to live up to later on in life or, or, or something that maybe if she made me angry, I would break off. No, when I said those wedding vows, I meant those wedding vows. We recite wedding vows that pledge our love and commitment to our spouse. We say things like this, from this day forward. And what that means is from this day, from this moment that we get married and so on, all the days to come from this day forward. So we say that we say for better or for worse, for better or for worse. I'm here. I'm, I'm here to stick this out with you for richer, for poor. When we have money, when we don't have money. We've got love, and love is all you need, right? Or in sickness and in health. I like this one. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. Till one of us kicks the bucket. I'm in this thing. There were a time when words like this, they actually meant something. I'm shocked that wedding vows have not changed with the culture of our nation, though. I'm expecting them to begin changing. And, and then I think I'm going to have to change my standards a little bit for performing wedding ceremonies. Even though I will allow couples to write their own vows, I, I always read them ahead of time. I want to make sure that there's some commitment, you know, some meat to those wedding vows. I want to make sure and I'm really shocked that wedding vows have not changed because our culture has changed and, and we have devalued marriage. And, and I'm afraid that at some point our wedding vows are going to begin to devalue marriage. And, and I would almost expect our wedding vows to start reading something like this. From today until we get tired of each other. Or for good times and even better times 
But don't expect me to stick around through the tough seasons of life. Or, or maybe, as long as the money is good, I'm yours. But after that, I'm running up all the credit cards with your name on them and I'm leaving. Or how about, I'll stick around through your public sickness because I don't want to look like a jerk. But that private stuff you're dealing with, you're on your own on that one. And finally, till death do us part, even if that involves me killing you. Wedding vows, commitment. You know, none of us would plan on saying any of this stuff to each other on our wedding day. Not us. No, no, not, not us. That would never happen to us. No one plans on getting a divorce on their wedding day. But, but here's what troubles me, and here's the reason why I'm preaching this series, is that very few people do things to prevent a divorce. Very few people provide preventive maintenance on their marriage. Very few people do things to prevent a divorce. Now, now listen to me, because uh, this, this is so, 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 so real right now for me. There are people in this room right now that you've been married for years, and you think to yourself, we're in this for the long haul. We're, you know, it's more bad times and good times, but man, we've got so many years committed to each other now. It's, let me tell you something. If you don't begin right now performing preventive maintenance and doing the things that you, you need to be doing, sooner or later, it's going to catch up with your marriage. Marriage is work, but it's worth working for. It is rewarding. It is the very thing that God uses in his word as an analogy for the kingdom of God. For those of us that, that will experience heaven, that we've given our heart to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he is our groom. We are the bride of Christ. That there will be a day in heaven that we will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, the kingdom of God is all about us and marriage, and he uses that as an analogy to show us because we understand, or at least at one time, that marriage was important. There are people that, if you don't start doing some work now, it's going to end in heartache. You tied the knot but your rope is unraveling. And so my goal today and throughout this series is to tighten the knot on the marriages and for some of you, tighten the knot on your future marriages. And so I want you to look at the person next to you and say, let's tie the knot. <laughs> Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. Look at your spouse. I should have said that. Look at your spouse and say, let's tie the knot. Say it. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading at verse 2. It's where the Pharisees have a question for Jesus. Let's read it. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? 
They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Have you ever been somewhere and you stumbled upon a political conversation that you were not necessarily looking for? You know, you're at work and you go into the break room. All you want to do is just go in and grab a bottle of water out of the, the refrigerator there because you're thirsty. But as you walk into that, that break room there at work, there's two co-workers in there and they are already engaged in a political conversation. And you walk in, you open the refrigerator and one of them asks you, hey, what do you think? And suddenly you find yourself in the middle of a political conversation that you didn't want to be a part of in the first place, but yet you are drawn into that. And, and all you want to do is just get out of the conversation. That's it. You just want to get out of Dodge because this is not, well, some of you want to get out of there. Others in the room, you get this natural high for some reason from political conversations and arguments. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. But yet there's others in the room that you are sane and you actually want to back away from that because you know. Oh, there's no changing their mind. There, there's the right side. There's the left side. You're never going to change their mind. All you want to do is just argue. And so you find yourself listening to these two sides and, and you just want to get out of there. Well, that's what happens in this moment in Mark chapter 10 with Jesus. He finds himself walking into a political conversation. Jewish rabbis at the time of Jesus were debating what was then a very new and popular form of divorce that was called any cause divorce. Any cause divorce. This new, no fault of divorce was created by the Hillelite Pharisees who misinterpreted the Old Testament grounds for divorce that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. Now the Shamite Pharisees, the other side of the aisle, they had a very literal interpretation of the Old Testament law. And so there's this heated debate that's taking place between these two different groups of Pharisees. And Jesus is invited into the debate. And, and they ask him which side of the aisle that he agrees with. And in return, Jesus answers and he explains to them, that this is a matter of the heart. He doesn't necessarily take the right or the left side. He says, this is a matter of the heart. He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses gave you a way out. That's what he tells them. Because of your hardness of heart. He said, Moses had to do something because you were so hard-headed, so fixed in your ways that he had to write something to give you a way out. Because of your hard heart, Moses had to do that. So it probably gets everybody's attention at that moment. Because at that moment, it feels like he's kind of questioning the law. But Jesus is setting them up. And then he takes them back to Genesis, to what life was like before the creation of the Old Testament law. And he quotes Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. And we find this in Mark chapter 10 verses 6 through 8. Listen to what Jesus says as he quotes Genesis. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two, watch this, the two shall become one flesh. So that they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. That, what Jesus is telling them is, is that I'm not going to make a decision without seeking you first. The husband will not make a decision without asking the wife. The wife will not make a decision without asking the husband. I think anybody in this room that knows me knows I'm anything but henpecked. I, I think most of you in the room know that. I think you know the character of my wife and, and, and I think you know me enough and how strong-willed I am that that's not it. But my wife will tell you there is not a decision made in our house when it comes to, to finances or e even, even where we are going and when we're going and all that kind of stuff. There's not a decision that's made that the two of us don't get together and, and, and talk about it. Discuss it with each other. Two become one. And so Jesus takes them back to the beginning of humanity and says, this, this is where it all begins. This is what we need to return back to. Now I'm about to give you some good marriage counseling. You ready for this? I said, are you ready for this? You, you want to tie a tight knot? then I'm telling you, do these things that I'm about to tell you. Over, over 20 years of experience and about 18 years of marriage counseling, I'm about to pour into you some goods right now. And if you will get this and apply it, I promise you, it will change your marriage. When it comes to your marriage, yes, your mama and your daddy may have gained a son or a daughter. Uh, it's beautiful. It's poetic, you know. I, I didn't lose a daughter today. I gained a son. It's beautiful, isn't it? And yes, that may be true, but they should not inherit you and your spouse's disagreements. Everybody in the room, please listen to me. When it comes to your marriage, it is your problems, and you should never run to your parents' house and share the, the disagreement that you have with your spouse. Jesus said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife or cling to his wife. It's time that some of you stop taking every disagreement that you and your spouse have to your extended family. And let me explain that to you. At the moment that you said, I do, mama and daddy became extended family. I know some of you don't like this and some of you don't want to hear it. I don't preach to be popular. I preach God's word. And at the moment that my wife said, I do, her mom and dad, who were here during first service, sitting right behind her, at the moment my wife said, I do, they became extended family at that moment. Both my mother-in-law and father-in-law both nodded their head in agreement with me when I said that. And I thank God that they have never been uh, uh, in-laws that have stuck their nose in our business. They have allowed us to live our lives, to, to make mistakes, to have successes, celebrate with us, cry with us. But they have never been one to, to force their way into our lives. And at the moment my wife said, I do. They became extended family. At the moment I said I do to my wife, Jack and Becky McKinley became extended family at that moment. We still love our parents. We still cherish our parents. We still take care of our parents. 
It's becoming even more real in my life as my dad gets older and battling Alzheimer's. Every day it becomes more real. We have not dishonored them, but we have recognized that as our parents before us, at the moment that you say, I do, suddenly our parents become extended family and we now have our home. It's for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother and he will cling to his wife. Jesus made this very plain. Let me explain to you what I tell couples going through premarital counseling on how this works. Say you and your spouse have a disagreement. You have an argument. You go over to your mom and dad's house and you lay it all out there. Here's our dirty laundry. He has ticked me off. I don't like him. You go over there, men, and you tell your mama, because you're a mama's boy. I see it on some of your faces. I'm just going to look down so I don't make eye contact with you. You're mama's boy. That's, who, that's what you are. And you go over there and you tell your mama how bad she's treating you. Mama, she won't clean the house. She won't co- I work hard all day long, mom. All day long I'm working hard. Mama, she's sorry. She's sorry. Mama, he used to buy me flowers. Mama, he ain't bought me flowers in years. Daddy, you should get your gun. Get your gun and run him off. Don't shoot him. Don't shoot him, Dad, because I love you more and I don't want you to go to prison. Make him shoot you, Dad, so he goes to prison. <laughs> you go over there and you share it all. You, you air it all out. You come back home and you sit down in front of the TV with your spouse and you start watching something on TV and something is funny. It is funny. For me and my wife, we like different, different shows. We watch a, a, a lot of shows together that we, we DVR. And, and a lot of times on Mondays, that's our day that we get to catch up on some of that stuff together. One of the shows that we like to watch is Last Man Standing. Don't care if you like it. It's, it's my house, my TV. I didn't ask you. And, um, we love watching Last Man Standing. And what happens sometimes is we find ourselves sitting there in our living room watching a sitcom on TV and we both start laughing at the same time. Now, 10 minutes earlier, we were mad at each other. I know this catches you off guard that your pastor and his wife have arguments. That we always don't see eye to eye. That, that your godly pastor and his wife, you see, that's the problem. I'm godly, she's not. But, but still, <laughs> but still, we don't always see eye to eye. But we find ourselves in a moment like that where there's common ground. Oh, sometimes it's a TV show. As a matter of fact, I, I, I suggested to the first service, I'm going to tell you this too. I suggest every couple in this room find a sitcom that you like together and watch it regularly with your spouse. You need to. You need to. I don't care what sitcom it is. I do care what sitcom it is. But you know, don't, don't go too far off the deep end. But... but Find something that you can laugh about. Some of you are way, way too serious in your homes. Way too serious. You never smile. You never laugh. You need to lighten up a little bit and have some fun with your family. It might be your kids running in the room. And all of a sudden, one of them does or says something, and you and your spouse, you start laughing. You know, there's nothing like watching a little three-year-old run through the living room butt naked and you just see them run through and both of you are going to laugh. You know it's going to happen. It's not as cute when they're 15, but at, at three, it, it's great. It's great. We know that from experience, but still, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
Sorry, Caleb. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. You have common ground and you find a way. Just Sometimes it's a conversation that you have. Sometimes you don't even discuss the problem. But you find yourself healing because you're living under the same roof in the same environment. Your extended family, they don't have the same opportunity for that healing to take place. So when you go and tell mama how sorry he is, mama's holding a grudge and she never has a chance to get over it. And it's nobody's fault but yours because you are supposed to leave mama and daddy, deal with your problems like an adult, and let God bring healing to your lives. Quit trying and gain, gain support, build an army around you because all you're doing is setting yourself up that when you get a divorce, you've got a support team. What if I told you God doesn't necessarily want you to get a divorce? What if I said God's will for you is that you learn how to work through some things? It's time that we, we man up and we woman up and we stop giving up. And to the mamas and daddies in the room of your married children, it's time that you cut the umbilical cord. Because when your grown children depend on you more than they depend on God, you have failed as a parent. My wife is the only person in the room that amen me right there. When your grown children, your married children, depend on you, more than they depend on God, you have failed as a parent. And at that moment, and if that's you right now, you better hit your knees and repent. Go to your grown children. Tell them where you messed up and help put them on the right track because you've already put them on the wrong track. Parenting isn't easy either. And there's been many times I've had to say I was wrong. And some of you, you might need to do that with your grown children. But then Jesus keeps going, and he really spells this thing out. Mark chapter 10 and verse 9, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, what God has joined together to the unmarried in the room, please be careful. You can save yourself much heartache if you will wait until God joins you together with the person that he is preparing for you. And I can assure you, he is preparing someone for you. He said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not. He is preparing you and he is preparing them. And if you rush this process, you will not be prepared and you will certainly not meet the person that he is preparing for you. Be careful. Wait on God. And don't open your heart up to an unbeliever. Listen to me. Those of you that are unmarried, listen to me. I don't care if you're dating, if you're engaged, if they are not a believer. The Bible speaks to this. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? He makes it very plain that when it comes to our relationships, we need to be seeking those that are seeking him. You cannot date or marry against God's word and expect godly results. Don't even play with God like that. I love the phrase that has been attributed to Maya Angelou or Max Licato or, or many others. We don't really know who said it, and I don't care who said it. Wh whoever said it, it's brilliant. Maybe some of you, you've seen this on social media, but there, here's the phrase. It says, a woman's heart should be so hidden in Christ that a man has to seek him just to find her. 
Let me read it to you again. A woman's heart should be so hidden in Christ that a man has to seek him just to find her. Listen, women, if he's not seeking God, then he should still be seeking. Send his butt packing if he's not seeking God. And men, if she's not hidden in Christ, then you better hide from her. Because you are going to experience heartache in life if you don't find the person that God has prepared for you or God is preparing for you. Because once you say, I do, God's word is very plain that you are to stay in that relationship. There are only a couple of reasons for you to end a marriage according to the Bible. One being infidelity, the other abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. That's the only two reasons the Bible says for us to walk away. And I certainly understand that when abuse is involved and things like that, that we've got to evaluate that and we've got to do what's right and what's safe. But the Bible is very plain. Infidelity and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. It says if he leaves you, don't you go looking for him. But that's it. Church, that's it. That's all the Bible gives us. And we've got this bad habit of marrying outside the boundaries of God's word. And then we expect him to approve our divorce when it doesn't work out. Just because you didn't follow God's word does not mean that he shouldn't follow his word. The Bible says that he's not a man that he should lie. He is not going to contradict his word. But yet when we disobey his word and we go into relationships that are unequally yoked, we expect God to go against his word. It doesn't work like that. And then Jesus solidifies his statement. Listen to the rest of verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. No one should separate you and your spouse. Not your mom, not your dad, not your brother, not your sister, not your best friend, not that attractive co-worker, not the man that listens and understands you better than your husband, not the girl that you met the other night at the bar, not your high school sweetheart that you think you should have married in the first place. But here's the big one. You ready? Not even you. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And you don't even have that right. The problem is, some of you right now are thinking, you don't get me. It, it, it's my life. Who are you to tell me? I learned when I gave my heart to Christ, it's not my life anymore. I dropped the shackles and chains that the world had me bound, but Paul said it best when he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ. It's not my life. And when I take it upon myself to end my marriage, going against God's word, when I do that, I'm taking on deity, lordship, godship over my life. I'm saying my ways are better than your ways, God. Marriage is not always going to be easy. Here's what I have figured out about marriage. There are some times when emotionally it's here and sometimes it's here. Sometimes it's here and sometimes it's here. Marriage is never just even kill. 
There's highs and lows in marriage. If one more person comes to me and says, I, I love him, but I'm not in love with him anymore. I'm going to grab you around the neck and I'm going to slap you two ways. That's how I'm going to do it. I am. That is one of the dumbest statements I've ever heard in my life. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. In our marriage, there's been moments when the love was here and the love was here. When the love was here and the love was here. It, it's, it's like a roller coaster ride sometimes. And I'll be the first to tell you there's been moments, she knows this, there's been moments when I've been in love with her. And there's been moments when I wasn't. Stay with me. There's been moments when my wife was in love with me. And there's been moments when she wasn't. But love has a rhythm to it. Everything in the kingdom of God has a rhythm to it. It's the reason why God created Sabbath the way it is, that it's always coming back around to reset us. Because life is about rhythm. It's about highs and lows. It's about getting it right, getting it wrong, getting it right, getting it wrong. It's about learning to correct some of those things along the way. So just because you don't feel the love, it doesn't give you the right to end the marriage. This is something Mandy and I figured out early, early on in our marriage, and I thank God that we did. Some of you have heard me teach this, but, but, but listen, you, you've got to understand if you don't love your spouse anymore, then you've got to learn to love them with God's love. And I'm so thankful that Mandy and I learned this because there were moments when we were no longer in love. And I can tell you this, there's going to be more moments that we find the, the flame has weakened. There's going to be moments when we don't feel the love like we do at other moments. But when you learn to love your spouse with God's love, 1 John 4 and 8 says, God is love. Don't miss this. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 and 8 says, love never fails. You cram those two verses together. God is love. Love never fails. Therefore, God never fails because God is love. And when you learn to love your spouse that way, when you look at your spouse and you realize that Jesus Christ still died for their sins, it will make you appreciate their heart and their soul a little bit more. Oh yeah, it may not be a season of romance, it may not be a season where you feel the flame burning, but, but, but you are able to look at them and realize Jesus loves them and I'm going to love them through his eyes, through that filter right for this moment when I can't stand her. I want to love her with his love. And when she can't stand me, I hope and pray to God that she will continue to love me through his love. Because there's sometimes when I know I'm unlovable. But God never stops loving me. And if she loves me through his love, she'll never stop loving me either. 
Have you ever tied a knot so tight that you couldn't get it untied? You ever done that? I remember when our kids were little, I think it was Caleb, he was just a little guy, and I remember tying a shoe with a double knot, pulling it real tight as I was tired of the, the, the shoe coming untied. I, instead of just doing a double knot, I think I did like a quadruple knot, you know. I was really sick of the shoe coming untied, so I just tied and tied, you know, kept, kept tying. I, I made, and I pulled it tight to the point when it was time to take off a shoe, I couldn't get the knot out. I tried everything. Couldn't get the knot out. You know what happens. They get on the playground, they start playing, dirt gets in there, and you know, and it just gets impossible to pull that knot out. That's what happens in our marriages sometimes. Sometimes it takes a little bit of dirt. Makes it a little bit stronger. Because when you go through hell and back with that spouse, trust me, you've got an investment. You're not going to walk away from that. I remember getting so frustrated that I finally quit trying to untie the shoe. I just slipped it right off the foot. I don't know if we ever got the knot out. From then on, he probably just had to slip the shoe on with it tied. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't ever remember that. Imagine with me, because here's what I'm imagining through this series. And, and so just humor me just for a moment. Here's what I see. Imagine our marriages here at Destiny Community Church being tied so tight that the enemy gives up fighting our marriages. Imagine if you didn't have to fight the enemy anymore because he can't get that double, triple, quadruple knot untied on, on your marriage. He can't get it out and he just gives up trying to untie your marriage. Oh, he's going to fight you in some other areas. The, de the devil will always fight you in other areas. But what if that's the one area? And, and don't tell me it can't work because, because here's the thing. Alcohol used to be an issue years ago in high school for me. But when God delivered me of that, I've never went back. And it's not a temptation in my life at all anymore. Uh, not, not at all. I can, uh, you, you, I can smell it. I can be in a restaurant and smell it. It doesn't bother me. I don't have a desire. The enemy knows that's not my weakness anymore. Therefore, he doesn't even try to untie that knot. He, he's not going to get me with that, but he'll fight me in other areas. Imagine if our marriages, the knot was so tight that the enemy just gave up. That we had a church full of marriages and he just said, you know what? There is something about those people at that church that their marriages are so tight. I'm not even going to fight them anymore in that area. And, and, and I just need to find another way to get to them. Man, imagine that. Imagine that. That's what I pray for. That's what I'm longing for, church. Because marriage is the first institution that he created. Even before the church, he ordained marriage. And that's why the enemy fights it so hard. It's God's first union. And the enemy hates it. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org.
or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church for Life's Journey.